This week we're going to be talking about trusting God. If you have your Bibles with you, we're in James chapter 4. You know, we all have trust issues, and and usually our trust issues are with people we have quote-unquote relationships with. Uh, A lot of times they come from relationships that we had or did not have with our parents. And these trust issues are passed down generation to generation. And trust issues that I had with, uh, you know, people in my life usually are passed down to my children. And there is a continuous cycle of these issues that show up in parents, children, grandchildren, and it goes on and goes on and goes on. What we're going to talk about tonight is how do we stop that cycle in our family of trust issues? And how can we relate those issues with our relationship that we have with God? How do sometimes those trust issues carry forward to our relationship with God? James chapter 4 verses 1 through 3, it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't it, but it's supposed to say don't. They come from your desires that battle within you. You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask God, you do not receive because you ask God with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. The first part of understanding why it is that we have trust issues has to begin with a self-examination. It has to begin with a self-examination. There was a man by the name of James Eads, and he actually engineered and had built the first steel bridge in the United States of America. And it was actually in St. Louis. It's still there today, and it crossed the Mississippi River And what was so scary about this bridge is, like I said, nothing like this had ever been done before in the United States up until this point. He self-funded, boasted, and bragged about this bridge. So big that on the day that it opened, he was the only person who would cross it. Nobody else would cross it. And so he decided that what he was going to have to do is to finally have this big, grand crossing. And so what he decided to do was to hire 14 locomotives at the same time from both sides to go onto the bridge and sit there for an entire day. And so in one day, this grand crossing day, 14 locomotives came and sat on that bridge for an entire day. And after that day, people would cross it. And it became the greatest crossing in America, the most used bridge from pedestrians walking across and trains going across. So much so that even today, it no longer does trains anymore. Now it's cars that go across it, but it still has two big pedestrian lanes for people to walk to both sides of the bridge. It's called the James Ede Bridge, and it is a true example of trust issues. Right? No matter how much you brag and boast about who you are and, and what you think and what you believe and, and what you're going to do, you are going to have to prove to people in order for them to trust you. Right? I mean, that's just how we are built. I, I can hear you. I can understand. I can see. But I have to see it with my own eyes. I have to feel it. I have to know. You have to show me in order that I trust 
you. You can boast, you can brag, and you can tell me it's been done before, but I need to witness. I need to see. There's some real issues there. And they all come from our own personal issues. They come from an understanding of selfishness, of sin, of of desperation to be in control of the moment. And this is where the crisis really comes in when we talk about our relationships with people and really when we talk about our relationship with God. This fundamental need to be in control. This, This desire to be the one who calls the shots. You know, so often our relationships with other people are the way they are because we feel like we need to be in control. So, so often the relationships in our churches are the way they are because individual people feel like they have to have control. And so what happens is we have fights, we have feuds, we have these things that come up. I have my side, you have your side, the church wants to buy carpet, the left side of the church wants red, the blue side of the church wants blue, the other side wants blue. You with me? And what happens is we have these fundamental fights that shut down the true purpose of the church, that shut down the true purpose of our relationships. A real self-examination means that we have to sit back and really pray and begin to ask God to show us those things in our heart, those desires that are different from what he desires, because really, truly what they are, they're what we desire. The power that I desire. The authority that I desire. That I may have control of the situation. That I may do what's necessary for my life and most of the time for yours too. What James chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 is really talking about is, James is talking about a self-examination. Honey, could you put that up real quick? James is talking about a self-examination. We often go to God and we say, God, why are we not receiving those things that you promised in your word that you would give me? And what God is answering back is, one, you don't receive because you don't ask, right? You just go out there and try and get it yourself. You run people over, you destroy relationships, and you try to take over things on your own. And second, most of the time when you come to me, you're coming to me for things that you don't need. For things that you want. You want more money. You want more goods. You want more things so that you can go out and spend them on things that you don't need. You don't help anybody. It's a self-examination. The second thing that we have to do in order to resolve our trust issues is to begin to evaluate ourselves by God's standards. And this is where we start going out the door. We have to evaluate ourselves by God's standards. Not by our own, not by our moms, not by our fathers. God's standards. Not by what my friends think or my peers think I should do, but God's standards. James chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, says this. You adulterous people... Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? That's huge. 
Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the jealousy longs for the Spirit He has caused to dwell in us? But He gives us more grace. That's why Scripture said God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the to the humble. James, and we have been in James for a while now, and we've been studying scripture after scripture after scripture, where James tells us very strongly that you need to not only be hearers of the word, but you need to become a doer of the word. And what we have done is, in the churches, we have created empires of hearers. We've created buildings full of hearers. But there's not a lot of us that do. And, and then we, and we talked about this in our group. We are successful if we plateau. We are successful if we're mild. And we know what scripture tells us about being mild. I reached that moment where I've given Christ my life. And I am really good at confessing sin. <laughs> I'm really good at it. But I'm a hearer, I'm not a doer. And James's language is very strong here when he says, when you choose the ways of the world, you become an enemy of God. An enemy of God. When you desire as the world desires, you are a polar opposite from God. And that is something that we must want to change in our lives. That's scary language. When we evaluate ourselves by God's standards, what we need to evaluate ourselves by is what James has said. If you look back in, in, in what we've already studied, James talked about purity. How pure are you? James talked about peace. We just talked about that last week. It was great. James talked about submissiveness in America. James talked about mercy, impartiality, sincerity. James talked about being vulnerable, being real, opening your heart to people. Letting people see the true you. Letting people see that you hurt. Letting people see that you have pain. Because the moment that people will connect with God is the moment that you connect with people. And they can see God move in your life. Then God is real. But if we continue to stand on the corner with a bullhorn and scream at people and do not do anything... We will continue to see the results that we've seen over the last 20 years. And you can look at any statistic, and it tells you that the church is dying. It's because we're hearers, and nobody does anything. We have trust issues with God. We have trust issues with each other. And what we find is people outside of the church have real, true trust issues with the church.
We've seen it already today at our tent when we hand out little cards that say, you are invited, and that's it. You are invited. Here's our website. And people get that little card, and they go, put it right back down on the table. There are real trust issues. How do we get through those? First, self-examination. And second, by examining, not by people's standards, but by God's standards. The third thing is that we have to change. We have to change. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Submit yourselves then to God. We can stop right there. Submit yourselves to God. It doesn't say confess, be saved, chill. I'm coming soon. It says submit yourselves. That means submitting your all, your life, every decision you make, every move, and every step you take is submitted to God. Before my desire comes God's desire. Before my mama's desire comes God's desire. Before my wife or my husband or my children comes God. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. We have to change. You know, I read this story about a motorhome this weekend, and it really got me thinking that our faith is a lot like a motorhome. You know, what we do in our Christian walk is we, we get this big, brand new life, this big, brand new motorhome, this big, brand new shell, and we move into this brand new shell to go to this brand new voyage that God has us on, right? And we're going to drive down this amazing road. But what do we do? First, we take our old toaster and we put it in the motorhome, right? We get all of our old blankets and pillows and everything. We put it into the motorhome. You know, we get all of our Ohio lottery tickets. We put them into the motorhome, right? Everything that comes with us, our baggage, our garbage, and all that is going to come into the motorhome. And then we're going to take that brand new motorhome, that brand new life that God has created for us. And it's going to have everything inside of it that you had before you ever started on the journey that God set forth for you. And then you're going to trek on down to the new village. Right? It's a motorhome type of faith. And it is the type of faith that a lot of us have. It is the type of faith that a lot of us carry. What happens is we make this new desire, this new change to be who God wants us to be, but we carry with us all of the baggage. I talked to somebody this week about it. He's a brand new Christian. He said, Brad, I don't understand why I still feel like this and that and this and that. And I said, dude, God forgave you. You got to forgive you. You got to get rid of the baggage. You've got to leave that behind. You have to understand that God never intended you to live in pain. But what God intended for you was freedom. And you are anything but free right now. Because you moved into the motorhome that God created for you. And you brought that big backpack full of garbage with you. You've got to take that off before you get in. 
And understand that when God forgives, when God forgives, it's gone. And that, first of all, is very difficult to grasp. Grace is difficult to grasp. What James is talking about here is, he's not saying, listen, you don't need to be happy anymore. Right? I want you to be a sourpuss Christian. That's not what James is saying. What James is saying is when you sin and you live in sin, this is how you should feel because it separates you from what God has created for you. That freedom that God gives to you, that sin separates you and change you away from that freedom, that pain and that hurt and all that you feel, especially in relationships, can all be tied to trust, pain, And all these things that we continue to throw ourselves into. Because we haven't experienced freedom. We don't want to hold on and take hold of what God really has for us. And that is grace. The fourth thing. First, we have to do a self-examination. Second, we have to understand, we have to evaluate ourselves based on God's standards, not man's standards. Third, we need to understand that change needs to happen. Repentance equals growth. If you're not growing in your Christian life, you need to take another reflection. Destination is sanctification. And finally, the fourth thing is we have to have a grace reliance. A grace reliance. James chapter 4 verse 10 says this. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. In these ten verses, it's the second time that James talks about humbling yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. We have to rely on God and understand that fights and disputes, problems in our relationships are when we have a self-reliance and not a grace-reliance. It's when we are relying on our own understanding. We're relying on our own strength. We're relying on our own desires. We're relying on our own sin. We justify ourselves through lies and manipulation. We tell people it's okay that we act that way because we're Christian. And that's a lie and a sin. True self-evaluation, evaluating ourselves by God's standards... True change in our lives is the only reflection of Jesus Christ because it's he who brought change. It's why they killed him. Because he changed things. He changed traditions that stood around for years and years and years. And what he's asking you to do is to change the tradition of sin in your family. Not just in you, but in your family in your chart, in your tree as it moves forward. If there has been a tradition of molestation in your family, you are the one that can begin that change. If there is a tradition of lies in your family, you are the one that begins the change. You are the one that stops it in your tree. When when God talks about trust, What he's talking about is understanding that you can rely on the grace he provides. You can rely on the grace he provides. 
you must know it's always there. You must believe his best is always best. We must rely on God and not on self. Because self-reliance will take us to hell. It is an enemy of God. Faith and belief and promise. Understanding and knowing and relying on God. Studying our word. Getting into our scriptures. Bettering ourselves. Becoming more like, like Christ. Actually living out what it means to be a Christian. Being doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Getting in our mobile home of Christianity and accepting the free gifts that God is giving us. Knowing that God did not put you in the place that he put you in life so that you can just sit there and do life. But that he wants you to make a difference for him. He wants you to be a voice for him. He wants you to be the light, to be the guide to direct and to show people what the real love of Jesus Christ means and feels like. And if we can be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, the city on the hill, have you heard those things? Of course you have. It's what God has called you to be. We don't do it, but it's what God has called us to be. If we can do that, then we justify our existence. We justify the cost. We justify our Savior. We know that his promise is true. Trust in God comes down to an understanding of who he is and a reliance upon him. My favorite verse in all of this, run to God and he will run to you. Run to God and he will run to you. When I get in trouble, who do I run to? That's my evaluation. When I am in need, who do I run to? When I am hurting, who do I run to? Run to God, and he will run to you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for James. I thank you for this scripture. And I know, God, a lot in our lives, we, we don't have the desire to change. We don't have the desire to become more like you. And so, Father, for that, I confess. And, Father, I pray that the desire burns inside of me. The desire to read your scriptures. To grow through faith. To do and not just hear. Father, the desire to be your light in the world. God, we pray for those right now, Lord, who are at the park and doing just that. And Father, we pray, Lord, that you just give them a cool breeze and that you watch over them. And God, I pray as a church that we are able to do. I pray as a church, Father, that we are able to reach this community in, a, in, in an incredible way. And that, Father, you will continue, Holy Spirit, that you will continue to show those things in our lives that we need to rid ourselves of, that we need to change. Father, ways that we can get better, become better Christians, become more like you. God, we love you.